how can I give back to sport and sport in Australia? It's a massive part of um, my life, but a massive part of Australian culture. Hopefully the experience that I have and the perspective that I bring from a gymnastics background can help shape things in a way that helps move the sport in the right direction. People like myself and Ellie Cole and, and other elite power athletes uh, are sitting on these committees and these advisory groups because we need to have more of a voice to represent those athletes with disabilities. There needs to be more collaboration between policy and strategy and the coalface of sport, the people who are actually doing it and who it's, who it's impacting. Sports Integrity is getting involved, they're building a framework around member protection, child safety and I think if we keep moving in that direction we'll sort of see a sport that's a lot healthier, happier and you know, athletes with the longevity that we want. It's evolving very, very fast and some of the integrity issues that we face are very different to what the able-bodied community face. to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Sport Integrity Australia's podcast Onside. I'm Tim Gable. Well, there are a number of new faces on Sport Integrity Australia's Athlete Advisory Group. The advisory group offers strategic guidance to Sport Integrity Australia from an athlete's perspective. 2012 Olympic rower Bromwyn Dani is the chair of the group and we'll be speaking to Bromwyn in just a moment, along with fellow Athlete Advisory Group members, dual Olympian in the sport of trampolining Blake Gaudry and vision-impaired Paralympic triathlete Jonathan Gulak. Well, firstly, to you, Bronwyn, um, what, what prompted you to take on a role with the Athlete Advisory Group? That is actually a bigger question than you might think, Tim, because there's a lot of reasons. Sport was such an enormous and wonderful part of my life and continues to be so. And so one of the big driving factors was, as corny as it might sound, how can I give back to sport and sport in Australia. It's a massive part of um, my life, but a massive part of Australian culture. And wanting to be part of the solution that allows young people to get in sport and stay in sport. And there are lots of threats to that, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about. So that was one of the, one of the driving factors. The other is that as an elite athlete, I guess you, you develop a persona and you develop um, a view of the world that, that normalises stuff being really, really hard. Being, being an elite athlete can be really hard. And sometimes I think athlete wellbeing is, is overlooked in that particular system because athlete voice is not always at the forefront. It doesn't need to be to ride at the front, but, you know, it can be hard to speak up as an athlete about stuff that you're not comfortable with or, or things that are happening. And I think it's really important that we can create some pathways to hear that athlete voice when it's in relation to athlete wellbeing. Um, and I saw my position on the Sport Integrity Australia Athlete Advisory Group as a, as a way to help support that actually happening. Things have changed though. There has been almost an evolution, a revolution uh, with the athlete voice now become very, becoming very prominent in, in a lot of discussion around you know, how do we take care of people going forward? Uh, what do we need in sport in terms of governance? A lot of it is about 
the athlete voice. It is, and I think that is a reflection of people's um, recognition that there needs to be more collaboration between policy and strategy and the, the coalface of sport, the people who are actually doing it and who it's, who it's impacting. Because we can have um, all, the, all the, the policies and structures in, in place um, to help that, but the lived experience, interpersonal relationships that are happening between athletes, coaches, their national sporting organisations is, is where there has to be conversations and we have to be able to hear those to understand what's actually happening in sports training centres, on sports fields. And so that's where I think Athlete Voice is is growing and it's really great to see that that is being supported through people like Sport Integrity Australia. You've only been on the Athlete Advisory Group at a pretty short time, relatively speaking, but have you been surprised by some of the things you've, you've found out that you probably didn't know heading into this particular group? I have indeed. I think the, the, the width and breadth of what Sport Integrity Australia are responsible for was a big surprise. There's just such an enormous amount of work that is being done and needs to be done around protecting sport and threats to sport. So um, I think it's going to be a big learning curve in this position and as well as an fantastic opportunity for, for people like myself and, and the other athletes on the advisory group to be of assistance and to have an impact and to use our knowledge and experiences in sport to help support the work of Sport Integrity Australia. Have you got an example of something you thought, gee, I thought it was nothing to do with that or is it something to do with this or yeah. is, is there something that is a specific example? Oh, there's, I've, I've got a lot. And, and as you say, it's sort of a new, I'm new to the position. So, so learning, learning on the job, I didn't realise that Sport Integrity Australia had um, interest and oversight in things like uh, match fixing um, and gaming, which is, is a whole arm. I was obviously aware of their involvement in, um, in drug offences being, you know, formerly ASADA. And their involvement in now what they're trying to do with the National Integrity Framework is just such an enormous piece of work that I think will can fundamentally change how that athlete voice is supported through the reporting processes and having a, a place where athletes feel very comfortable or any anyone in sport for that matter, reporting um, integrity matters to a kind of a, a neutral body. And that the, the scope of that is... So large, so yeah. large, yeah. Also with this is Blake Gaudry and uh, Blake, uh, a champion trampolinist. I guess you're coming into this from a sport that I guess hasn't got the profile of some of the other sports that are involved. Um, do you have to explain what your sport is about as, as well as, I guess, uh, telling people about the examples that you might have from your sport? Yeah, unfortunately... Um you know, trampolining in Australia is not as high profile as a lot of other sports, but, um, you know, over the years, people are starting to, you know, get more involved. It only went into the Olympic Games in 2000, so it's relatively fresh and new within the you know, sporting community. But um, when I'm explaining it to people, they always ask, how'd you get into it? Started in the backyard um, yep. on the trampoline like everyone else. And um, it's much similar to diving, but instead of, you know, going one way, we have to go back up again, keep stay on our feet. So... It, you know, it's pretty easy to grasp once you, you, you know, you learn, you have a look and, and you, 
you know, come enjoy. Sometimes if you go to bounce, you can see people bouncing around and having fun. It's pretty straightforward. But um, in terms of my experiences in trampolining, um, yeah, we've sort of been involved in a sport that's had a big culture shock and I've been lucky enough to, you know, enjoy all the good things in sport but also probably seen some things which might be considered integrity issues and being on this committee and um, being a part of sports integrity, I'm just keen to, you know, share those experiences and hopefully shape education and um, the message the right way so that, you know, in the future we can win the smart way, the safe way and, you know, the right way. Because you were involved in gymnastics beforehand and we'll know that there has been, uh, following Athlete A, there's been a lot said about gymnastics and and hopefully things have, have changed for the better. Yeah, I think it's early days. Like over the years, there's been a lot of um, coaches coming from, you know, different backgrounds, different cultures and have been brought into Australia to, you know, get the results a certain way and the way that they're familiar with. Um, I think a lot of that is education. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think now that it's, you know, coming to light, unfortunately it's taken so long and, and it's taken documentaries like Athlete A, like you mentioned, for people to shed a light on this and realise that actually this is probably not okay. We need to do something about it. But it's moving in the right direction. Sports Integrity is getting involved. They're building a framework around member protection, child safety and uh, I think if we keep moving in that, dire- that direction, we'll sort of see a, a sport that's a lot healthier, happier and, you know, athletes with you know, the longevity that we want. Why did you decide to join the Athlete Advisory Group? Like I said, uh, being involved in the sport and similar to Bronwyn, sport is a lo- big part of my identity. I've, I've been doing the sport for over 20 years and I want to give it back and, and seeing and experience some of these things that probably could have been avoided through education are just hopefully the experience that I have and um, the perspective that I bring from a gymnastics background can help shape things in a way that uh, helps move the sport in the right direction. Do you feel as though you, you can make a contribution in terms of forcing change and I guess you've talked there about education. It's important that, that athletes and coaches, when they're educated, understand the message. Yeah, I hopefully get some change. It, like, like Bronwyn said, it's early days. We've just sort of stepped into the role where we're still learning and understanding um, the big scope that sport integrity uh, look after. Um, it is bigger. There's a lot of different areas and, and the categories that really specifically I feel are directly um, related to trampolining is the member protection and the child safety. Um, I did the sport since I was 10, 11. I went from a club background to a state program to a national program. Um, I've experienced it from all different levels and I, and I feel like I've got a perspective and understanding that these are the sort of issues that happen at each of those different levels and maybe there's a story or two that I can share that will, um, you know, yeah. just start a, a light bulb moment and be like, actually, that's interesting. Maybe we can apply those learnings and, and fix things in the right way. Did you have much education when you were coming through? <laughs> no. Um, in terms of an athlete, you get in there, um, you've got a job to do, you do what your coach tells you and um, at the mm. end of the day, you sort of, focused on, uh, got your blinkers on, on getting the results and, you know, you do what it takes to get there. So um, sometimes that's going about in the right way and sometimes it's not the right way. So I think a lot of it's education of, you know, a coaching level or a staff or an organisation um, so that as a kid you might not be willing to speak up or or be aware that... I, I guess understanding the- too of what's right and wrong and 
when you can speak up and getting that confidence to speak up. It and is, say, yeah, it is a confidence thing. And, and sometimes in, in sports you're in a position where um, confidence is lacking. You know, you've got a figure that's um, in a powerful position and sometimes that can be manipulated um, if it's sort of uh, the education's lacking. So as an athlete, once you get older and you build that confidence and you build that relationship, you know, you're more willing to speak up or notice things that are not okay and maybe you can uh, share those stories. But it's really important that for gymnastics, it's got such a large um, base of athletes that are young. Mm. Gymnasts starting from, you know, five, six years old, um, a lot of athletes under the age of 18. So it's important that the coaches, the staff, anyone involved in the sport and those athletes are sort of aware of um, the framework and the policies that are accepted and, and yeah. implement that. And Bronwyn, uh, some of the stuff that I guess Blake's talking about there, does that resonate with you? It does. It does. And and what particularly um, just landed for me then is that idea of confidence to speak up. And for me, I think it's, it's more than just saying we need to help athletes be confident to speak up because we're in very complex systems in sport and, and whether it's real or perceived, often athletes don't feel comfortable to speak up because they feel like it might impinge on their capacity to be selected or, um, you know, they might be deselected. So I think, um, yes, it resonates, but I think part of the solution is, is enabling and educating coaches, officials, people working with NSOs to um, enable, so that there, there's an invitation mm. of input and there's an invitation of feedback. It's feedback. It's not just the role of the athlete to be more confident in that very high pressure environment. We need to think about policies and structures that allow the system to tolerate feedback and that, that it invites it so that athletes are supported to say, you know, in Blake's case, hey, that, that, that didn't feel right. Um, who can I go to? I know exactly who to go to. And the response from that person is a, is a, is a productive and um, timely response. Because there is a power differential, isn't there? And um, sometimes, uh, you, know, you mentioned a moment ago, Blake, you, you listen to everything the coach says and you, you follow those instructions. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I agree. Uh, having a platform where you can um, give that feedback and it's, it's taken on board and there's actions. I think that's the biggest thing that I think is I start, I'm starting to see change within the sport. Um, I'm still involved. I'm not competing anymore, but I'm involved on the, the SMC, which is the Sports manage, Management Committee in South Australia. So um, just sort of seeing sport from the other side now is, is interesting and um, understanding why things weren't maybe action before or what areas were lacking. So it's um, yeah. uh, hopefully we see progress. Uh, and Jonathan, introducing you into the conversation as a, a para-triathlete, uh, you bring a totally different perspective to the Athlete Advisory Group, don't you? Because you've you've had quite unique experiences, I would imagine, as a, as a para-athlete. I have. Uh, I mean, a lot of what's been said already resonates as an elite athlete. Uh, para-athletes are elite athletes as well. Mm. We train just as hard and, and, and compete all over the world. But I think the different perspectives that we bring... Uh, I think Brian was talking to lived experience earlier, and that's something that the majority of the organisations and the, and the athletes that are in sport in Australia and around the world don't have lived experience with disability, and a lot of those policies and decisions that are made 
um, govern these sports don't always take into account people with disability because they don't have that lived experience. Mm. And, and so people like myself and Ellie Cole and, and other elite power athletes uh, are sitting on these committees and these advisory groups because we need to have more of a voice to represent those athletes with disabilities um, to ensure that they're heard as well and their perspectives are seen. Um, uh, that's why I sit on a few different committees at the moment. Because, because you're on the World Triathlon Athlete Committee as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's uh, I think three terms now I've sat on that one. That's predominantly able-bodied, but mm. there's uh, there's been up to three para-athletes mm. on that committee as well. But we all sit on the same committee. Um, N-Swiss Athlete Advisory Group, I've been there for a couple of terms. I'm chair of the Triathlon Australia Athlete Committee and, and now on the Sport Integrity Australia Athlete Advisory Group. So it's... I have my finger in a few different pies, but that's just because I You've think... You've got enough to tr- time to train, or you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Still make time for that, that's for sure. Mm. But it's just it's just having... Um, being able to share the perspective of people with disabilities yeah. and to educate and to, and, and to have a, a voice in different areas, like, you know, with sport integrity, education is a, hu- a huge mm. piece. Uh, even my own experiences recently with accessing sport integrity... Mm. Um, uh, modules that we have to do as part of being elite athletes. There's some accessibility issues within that. So picking yeah. up on things like that that others might not. Mm. Um, and and with where para sport is at the moment, it's evolving very, very fast. And some of the integrity issues that we face are very different to what the able-bodied community face in that. Um, there's a lot of young athletes coming in now. There's this big boom of young athletes mm. and they all need to be educated um, there's classification is a huge one as well. That's a, a very rapidly evolving space around disability mm. and minimum eligibility to, to compete in para sports. And even things like there's, there's very few para sports that have prize money and where there's money in sport, you tend to find there's things like match fixing and, and doping and, and all these things because the, the, the price to win is higher. Whereas in para sports, there are very few sports. I think wheelchair tennis is probably one of the only ones that actually earn prize money in international sports. So, but that's changing. There are sports yeah. that are starting to um, include prize money. Um, even now in Australia, after the Tokyo Games, we, we all know the story around medalists, um, Paralympic medalists not receiving any, any reimbursement or, or, or prize money for winning medals until Tokyo. Um, so even things like that, that's starting to change. And then that's, I feel we're going to see more things like, um, you know, people in those, those communities that are involved in, in match fixing and things like that will start to come in and potentially have an influence down the track. So I think because, uh, because it is in, increasing in prize money and, and sponsorship and all these things. So mm. I think you, that's a space we need to get ahead of the game, basically. Do you think that uh, able-bodied sports could learn a lot from para sports is is that what you're hoping to in what way, as well? i say yes but there's yeah well I, I guess what i noticed for instance at the the paralympics and having commentated at paralympics in the past it is a totally different feel than the olympic games themselves in that there is so much goodwill towards each other um and i thought well gee um the olympic games themselves could could learn a lot from from the way that para athletes conduct themselves for instance it doesn't seem to be that Win at all costs mentality. Yeah, I think I think there's, I think any minority group out there would have that sense of community, and and that's what people with disabilities have. We all we're all part of a community, and you see that in in the Paralympic movement as well. Whether it's within Australia or internationally, 
we're all there to support each other uh, because we're trying to grow this movement and, and get equality basically that's what we're fighting for so whether it's in general life or whether it's in sport and getting prize money and getting yeah. equal funding from your sport you know all these sorts of things so um so yeah there's a lot there's a lot that can be learned i know the, the australian paralympic team in tokyo was um recently um awarded the number one um australian team our favorite past, team yes yeah favorite mm. team in, in yeah. voted by all of the yeah. australian community so that that shows a lot and that you know that came a lot down to channel seven's coverage and um fortunately we we're in the t same time zone so we could actually see a lot of what was happening over there in tokyo uh, and i think that that highlights a lot of what we're about yeah you make, you make it a very good point there in a lot of athletes are coming through the profile for instance of paralympians is at an all-time high um as judged by the people of australia the coverage was fantastic on channel seven from tokyo but right across the board, there are so many young athletes coming into the sport. Do you, I'll just whip it around. It. Do you did you see it as a, a problem, Bronwyn? Um, in the, you know, we've just got to really have a strategy to, to make sure that that everybody is educated um, and under, has an understanding of some of the integrity issues in sport because we're we're seeing an influx of people involved in in a range of sports. We've got twenty thirty two Olympic games you know, just around the corner, really. Mm, and, and isn't isn't that going to be a boon for sport in Australia? So th there's always going to be young people coming in, um, and wonderful that there's that you know yep. role modelling and visibility that Jonathan was talking about. That's encouraging people to you know yep. pursue sport at elite level. Education is such a big part, and it's about how we do that education, how it actually gets to the right people, how all those young people coming in, access, education, whose responsibility is it to see that they get that education? Is it the coach? Is it the NSO? Is it sport integrity? Do they need to do it themselves? So there's so many complexities there. There's such, it's such a big task because there's, you know, mm. thousands of people wanting to get on that elite um, pathway. I think um, something that I'm interested in is the... Um, like mentioned it earlier, that sort of win it or costs mentality. And you see it starting so young. So I'm, I'm a mum now, no longer an athlete, but I have um, one of my kids is, you know, in under nine soccer. And even in under nine soccer level, there's, you know, selections, there's travel for sport. And I, and I look at it and I'm torn because I think he loves it. He enjoys it. But on the sidelines, some of the coaches are, are pretty intense there's realms of research that says early specialisation in sport doesn't necessarily produce a champion at the end and yet we continue to do it. It's costly emotionally and financially and I wonder what, what, what is the answer there? How do we address that? If I had an answer for you, I'd, I'd give it. But, um, yeah, with, with gymnastics, the, um, the athlete participation base has been growing year after year and I expect that to like you said, skyrocket once we're heading towards Brisbane. Um, gymnastics is so broad. There's gymnastics for all, there's recreational gym, there's artistic men's, women's, rhythmic, trampolining, cheerleading. Uh, it's so big and so having a large member base, it's, it's important that a lot of those members are sort of at a younger age. They get in there young, they, you know, during um, 
early years, as four, five, six, they're learning those foundational gymnastics skills. Parents take them to daycare, they drop them off at gymnastics. So uh, I think without really knowing an answer to the problem, I think it is, you know, establishing that there is a culture issue, um, especially at that elite end, and that building that framework and that policy so that across the board, everyone's aware of um, what's expected, um, what sort of policies and, and what sort of culture gymnastics wants to push for. And I think they're moving in the right direction. So let's, I'm excited for the future, really. And Jonathan, we mentioned there a lot of young kids probably didn't think they could be Paralympians and they've seen it on television and they want to be Paralympians now. Yeah. I, do, you, I, do you receive enough education, do you think, uh, in the Paralympic community? Yes, yeah. I just think that um, it, it does need to, yeah, it does need to be made available at a, a younger age with para-athletes because there are less numbers of athletes with disabilities competing and because we're seeing this big influx mm. of, of athletes, most of them are young. You only have to look at the Australian Dolphins para-swimming team and I, I would think majority of that team are teenagers still. They're, they're all quite young. So I think education is a huge thing. Um, to so get, just start it earlier. Yeah, to start it earlier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to what Brian was saying, I've got two young kids and uh, our eldest, Isaac, he started playing soccer. And it's really interesting when you see the parents and the coaches on the sideline and how intense they are. And I, I don't know if you've watched it, but King Richard mm. and watching the Williams sisters and how they grew up and how they really highlighted that space around parents and, and how brutal they were with their kids and so much pressure they put on them. And, um, and you really do see that. Uh, it, it's hard to police, but I think the new sport integrity framework around that and calling that out is, is, a, is a, a place there for that to be, um, mm. to be looked at. But that's, yeah, it's really amazing to see that. And I actually don't really understand how, they, how it gets to that, but there are a lot of pressures on kids. And, um, and if they do start going into that elite space, um, working their way up through the different levels and that pressure, it seems to always be on them. So um, I think it, in the para space, it's not as much there because quite often for us, it's about having a go that mm. I was saying, whereas... I think it's moved on from that a little bit. It, it is, it is because there are pathways now. I mean, even, even in my own sport, it's a relatively new sport. We've only been in two Paralympics uh, in terms of para triathlon and um, 2014 was when the high performance program kicked off. And it's evolved quite rapidly since then. And now we're seeing a lot of young kids in the development space come in because there's, there's, there's room for that to happen and funding for that. So there are pathways. And as we said before, 2032 coming up, there's going to be a huge boost in funding, hopefully, across all sports to, to build over the next 10 years because there will be kids that are eight years old now. Mm. They're like, I want to come and play sport. I want to be in, in Brisbane. And that's, you know, that's going to see another boost in, in athletes coming in. So now's the time to get ahead of that, that evolution that's coming. Just to wrap it up, I guess the key is to identify the threats, isn't it? And understand, you know, not necessarily what's right or wrong, but um, the barriers and, and understanding, for instance, in the, in the eyes of a coach, how far they can push an athlete, how far they can you know, go in terms of the way they speak to athletes. Um, athletes understand their rights as well. So it's important, I would imagine, that we, we really understand and identify the threats early when it comes to integrity. Hundred percent. I think just having the right team, like sports integrity, getting us athletes together, and we're building yep. a bit of a team, and hopefully work together. I know gymnastics as an organisation is 
starting to do a bit of a refresh and building the right team. So I think just having the right people in the right positions um, so that things can get actioned and move forward I think is really important. Just a final comment from you. I was just going to sort of follow on, on your comment, Tim, around barriers and I think that's kind of a critical word there because it's not really so much around what's right or wrong. I think fundamentally most athletes, most coaches, most systems kind of appreciate what's right or wrong but it's about removing some of the barriers that enable us to find out if there is a problem mm. and, and making that report. Things like reporting pathways simple, education really accessible to, to, to young kids as well, even to parents. They have an influence here as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, attention on the barriers is, is something that, that's quite important to, to the work that we'll be doing. A couple of years ago, if we had a discussion like this here at Sport Integrity Australia, it would be all about supplements. It, we've <laughs> really moved on uh, understanding there are wider issues, not just anti-doping. And I think it's important that, that everybody understands that it's, it isn't just anti-doping. You know, there's a lot of other factors at play now when it comes to integrity in sport. Totally. And I think through visibility, through things like Athlete A, there is a much bigger focus on athlete wellbeing mm. and, and, and caring for individuals. Um, doping violations are happening. They're still happening. But there is, there's a big focus on, on wellbeing, I think, which is, is a great step forward. Yeah, and you saw that. I think was it 2018? There was the 2030 policy, Sport mm. Australia yep. policy put out, and that had a huge focus on athlete wellbeing and engagement. And we saw athlete wellbeing engagement managers come into all the sports. And since then, we've seen you know seen that space grow. Uh, and and I think all the committees as well that I a few of them that I've become part of have been since that since that time because the athlete voice is 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 now front and center in a lot of issues. That's why it was, like you said before, mm. it used to just be about supplements, but now there's all these other mm. uh, integrity issues that are, that are coming through because athletes have a voice about those spaces. Thanks very much for joining us today, Bronwyn, Jonathan, and also Blake. It's been great to have a chat. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. And now for our segment from Left Field, where we answer a question from the public. Hi, my name's Annabelle and I'm a Sport Integrity Australia athlete educator. The question I have from left of field today is, is there a minimum age for testing and being banned from sport? The answer is no, there is no minimum age for being tested. However, Sport Integrity Australia has testing processes to support athletes who are under 18 years. For example, minors can ask to have a parent or authorised representative such as a coach present with them during the testing process. This can help to make sure that the athlete feels comfortable during the testing process, especially if it's their first time. It is important to remember that all athletes, regardless of their age or the level they compete at, are subject to the same anti-doping rules and penalties. Ultimately, athletes are responsible for what they put into their bodies, even if they are a minor. However, if there are other contributing factors to a rule violation committed by a minor, such as the influence of a coach or parent, that will be taken into consideration when deciding the length of the sanction. Thanks for listening to Onside. I'm Tim Gable, and we'll be back with another episode of Onside shortly. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. 
Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au or check out our Clean Sport app.